This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of radiocarpal fracture dislocation from the hand section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. A radiocarpal dislocation is the total loss of contact between the carpus and the radius. Diagnosis is confirmed by orthogonal radiographs of the wrist. Treatment is usually internal fixation of the fractured bones, radiocarpal pinning, and repair of the radiocarpal ligaments. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, the incidence of radiocarpal fracture dislocation is 0.2% of injuries to the wrist annually. In terms of demographics, males are more affected than females, and dorsal dislocations are more common than volar dislocations. Risk factors include high-energy trauma. Moving on to the etiology, with respect to pathophysiology, the mechanism of injury is high-energy shear or rotational force to a hyperextended and pronated wrist. This is often due to falls from height and motor vehicle accidents. Associated orthopedic conditions include open fractures, distal radius fractures, specifically radial styloid avulsion fractures, which is the attachment of the radioscaphocapitate or RSC ligament, as well as volar lunate facet fractures, which is the attachment of the short radial lunate ligament. Other associated orthopedic conditions with radiocarpal fracture dislocations include ulnar styloid fractures, carpal bone fractures, specifically the scaphoid, lunate, and trapezium. Know that median nerve injury is more common than ulnar nerve injury. Also remember there may be an irreducible DRUJ with soft tissue interposition. And finally, intercarpal injury, such as scapholunate or lunotriquetral dissociation, is another potential associated orthopedic condition. Now let's talk about some relevant anatomy. We'll go over osseous structures and ligamentous structures. So starting with osseous structures, with respect to the distal radius, the articular surface is biconcave and triangular with the radial styloid forming the apex of the triangle. The sigmoid notch forms the base and articulates with the head of the ulna. The dorsal surface of the distal radius is convex and serves as a floor of the dorsal extensor compartments. In terms of ligamentous structures, you have the radiocarpal ligaments, the capsule, and the scaphoid as well as the lunate fossa of the distal radius which provides stability to the radiocarpal joint. The short radiolunate ligament is the primary soft tissue restraint against volar translation of the carpus. The short radiolunate ligament attaches to the volar lunate facet of the distal radius. The radioscaphocapitate ligament or RSC ligament provides restraint against ulnar translation of the carpus. The RSC ligament attaches to the radial styloid. Finally, the ulnolunate and ulnotriquetral ligaments originate on the volar side of the TFCC, which inserts into the base of the ulnar styloid. Now let's talk about the classification of radiocarpal fracture dislocations, and the ones to know include the Monheim classification and the Dumontier classification. The Monheim classification is divided into two types. Type 1 is a radiocarpal fracture dislocation without associated intercarpal dissociation, while type 2 is a radiocarpal fracture dislocation with an associated intercarpal dissociation. Moving on to the Dumontier classification, this is divided into two groups. Group 1 is a radiocarpal fracture dislocation that is purely ligamentous or involves only a small cortical avulsion fracture off the radius, while group 2 is a radiocarpal fracture dislocation associated with a large radial styloid fracture fragment involving at least one-third of the scaphoid fossa. Now let's talk about the presentation of radiocarpal fracture dislocations. Patients will typically have a history of a high-energy trauma to the wrist. Common symptoms include pain and swelling of the wrist as well as numbness and tingling. On physical exam, inspection may reveal radiocarpal deformity based on direction of dislocation, whether volar or dorsal, ecchymosis and swelling, 
as well as a pale and cold hand. In terms of motion assessment, be sure to document flexion extension and pronation supination. Crepitus should be noted. On neurovascular exam, again remember that median nerve injuries are more common than ulnar nerve injuries. Radial and ulnar artery injury is common due to the deformity causing arterial occlusion. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include a PA view of the wrist, a lateral view of the wrist, and a quote-unquote teardrop view. On the PA view of the wrist, in terms of radial lunate alignment, remember that normally two-thirds of the lunate articulates with the distal radius. Know that in complete radiocarpal disruption, the carpus translates ulnarly. The radial lunate alignment on the PA view of the wrist may also reveal intracarpal widening. Be sure to evaluate for scapholunate or lunotriquetral dissociation, as well as breaks in the jalula arcs. That is, the radiocarpal, proximal midcarpal, and distal midcarpal arcs should be collinear. On the lateral view of the wrist, you may see a dorsal or volar radiocarpal wrist dislocation, and this will be associated with loss of collinearity of the lunate with the articular surface of the radius. Finally, on the teardrop view, this is a 10-degree proximal view on a lateral, and this will evaluate for lunate facet fracture. A CT scan can be indicated to evaluate the articular surface in cases of severe comminution and articular depression. An MRI is indicated to evaluate for the integrity of the scapholunate and lunotrochoidal ligaments. The differential diagnosis for radiocarpal fracture dislocation includes lunate dislocation, otherwise known as a perilunate dissociation, and a distal radius fracture. And to learn more about those conditions, be sure to listen to those specific podcast episodes. Treatment of radiocarpal fracture dislocation can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes close reduction and cast immobilization, which is indicated in those that are not medically stable for surgery, as well as in those that have a stable radiocarpal joint after close reduction. In terms of outcomes, there is historically satisfactory outcomes for purely ligamentous injuries. Operative options include open reduction, internal fixation, radiocarpal pinning, and ligament repair. Indications include irreducible radiocarpal dislocation and an unstable radiocarpal joint after reduction. In terms of outcomes, good outcomes can be achieved with concentric reduction of the radiocarpal joint and treatment of intercarpal injuries, as well as sound repair of the osseous ligamentous injuries. Now, let's go over some of these management techniques in a bit more detail. As far as close reduction and cast immobilization, the technique will involve longitudinal axial traction of the digits and casting for up to six weeks to allow ligamentous scarring. In terms of open reduction, internal fixation, radiocarpal pinning, and ligament repair, the approach can be the volar approach to the distal radius or the dorsal approach to the distal radius. The technique will begin with provisional radiocarpal joint reduction and then three-column fixation, where the three columns are the radial column, which includes the radial styloid, the intermediate column, which is the lunate facet, and the ulnar column, which is controversial. So starting with the radial column, first you will use K-wire, compression screw, or plate fixation, whether dorsal, volar, or radial, of the radial styloid. Soft tissue or possible suture anchor repair should be done if it is ligamentous, comminuted, or the fragment is too small for fracture fixation. Moving on to the intermediate column, or the lunate facet, you will use a screw or a tension band wire loop fixation of the lunate facet. Again, soft tissue or possible suture anchor repair can be done if it's ligamentous, comminuted, or too small for fracture fixation. Finally, you may do a short radiolunate and radioscaphocapitate ligament repair. In terms of the ulnar column, which is controversial, this is indicated for DRUJ injury or persistent instability after fixation of the radial and intermediate column screw or tension band wiring of the ulnar styloid fracture or ligament repair. 
the DRUJ can be reduced in a closed or open fashion with percutaneous pinning in mid-supination. Finally, in terms of operative intervention, be sure to decompress the neurovascular structures and know that addition of external fixation as well as a radial lunar pin for four to six weeks can be used for unstable injuries after fixation. Or you can use a dorsal spanning bridge plate instead for additional fixation. Now let's talk about some complications. We'll go over acute carpal tunnel syndrome, stiffness, post-traumatic arthritis, chronic radiocarpal instability, and late intercarpal disruption. So risk factors for acute carpal tunnel syndrome is delay in treatment, and the treatment will of course be a carpal tunnel release. Stiffness is defined as 30 to 40% loss of total arc of wrist flexion slash extension. Risk factors include prolonged immobilization, and treatment includes manipulation under anesthesia as well as hardware removal. Risk factors for post-traumatic arthritis includes non-anatomic reduction of the articular surface. Risk factors for late intercarpal disruption includes occult injury to the intercarpal ligaments. Finally, let's end this review session talking about prognosis after radiocarpal fracture dislocation, and basically with early treatment and appropriate management, good outcomes can be expected. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over one quick question to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. A 22-year-old man sustained an intraarticular distal radius fracture with a large radial styloid fragment and a volar ulnar lunate facet fragment, which is best seen on the lateral x-rays. Post-reduction radiographs are taken in clinic one week later, and the lateral shows loss of reduction and volar carpal subluxation with a lunate facet fragment. Which ligament attaches to the fracture fragment responsible for the loss of reduction in this patient? And the choices are one, scapholunate ligament, two, radioscaphocapitate ligament, three, short volar radiolunate ligament, four, lunar triquetral ligament, and five, ulnolunate ligament. The correct answer to this question is three, short volar radiolunate ligament. So the short volar radiolunate ligament attaches to the volar lunate facet, which is fractured in this patient, resulting in carpal subluxation. A subset of distal radius fractures involves the volar ulnar corner or the critical corner. When the fracture is not appropriately identified and stabilized, carpal subluxation may occur. The small fragment, which supports the volar lunate, is at risk for inadequate fixation in addition to unfavorable biomechanical shear forces. Anatomically, the important short radiolunate ligament originates from the volar rim of the lunate facet. Fixation of this facet is integral to prevent volar subluxation of the carpus. Harness et al. performed a case series on seven patients who lost fixation following open reduction and internal fixation of a distal radius fracture. They emphasized the importance of the volar lunate facet fragment in maintaining carpal stability. They add that the unique anatomy of this region may prevent standard fixation devices for distal radial fractures from supporting the entire volar surface effectively. O'Shaughnessy et al. analyzed 25 patients who underwent fragment-specific plating of the volar lunate fragment using a volar hook plate. Fragment-specific fixation using a volar hook plate designed specifically for these fragments was combined with other fragment-specific fixation techniques. There was no loss of fixation of the critical corner in this series. That's all for this review about radiocarpal fracture dislocation. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com. And in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, 
please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.